Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at FAC, and it's so good to be back with you this morning. Well, as Morgan mentioned, last weekend we celebrated across our campuses, our congregations, and even our microsite an unexpected triumph. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead after three days, just like he promised. No one expected that he would really do it, least of all his disciples who had lost hope. They were surprised by the empty tomb and even more surprised when they saw him and when they talked with him again. Maybe today you're surprised by the unexpected reality that Jesus is alive. You know, a survey by the Barna Research Group found that 30% of those who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, do not believe that Jesus actually came back to physical life after he was crucified. Can you really call yourself a follower of Jesus if the one you follow is still in the grave? Hmm. And if you believe that, then how can you take part in all that Jesus is and all that he freely gives to us as his followers? How can you have hope if the one that you hope in is still in the grave? How can we believe in the eternal life for ourselves if Jesus is still dead? What good news do we have to share if Jesus is still in the ground? Well, although 30% struggle with the reality of Jesus being alive, Jesus' name and his renown, well, they've only increased after his death. Pastor John Ortberg says, normally when someone dies, their impact on the world immediately begins to recede. But Jesus inverted this normal human trajectory. As he did so, many others. Jesus' impact was greater 100 years after his death than during his life. It was greater still after 500 years. After 1,000 years, his legacy laid the foundation for most of Europe. After 2,000 years, he has more followers in more places than ever. You see, Jesus' renown continues to grow. His followers continue to grow. For many of us, we've chosen to follow Jesus, and we've placed our hope for our future in him. But we may have forgotten that his resurrection can impact our lives even still today, not just in the days to come. Maybe your present, well, your present isn't that great. Maybe your current reality is one that isn't filled with hope. But through Jesus, although we'll face trouble, we can have hope. Hope of a new life. Hope for eternal life, a life that will one day be free of sin, sickness, tears, and pain. We have a choice to make. When we live in the present without accepting that Jesus' resurrection power can improve our lives today, then we live like we are already in the grave. Pastor Wayne Cordero writes, Death can be physical when everything ceases, but it can also be a separation from life. You still exist, but what is designed to give vibrancy vanishes. You're at the end of your rope. You survive, 
but you have no hope. A life surviving with no hope, well, it's stuck in the ground. It's stuck in the grave. You're living in the past, a past that leaves Jesus in the grave too. No, we have a future, a future that's bright and vibrant and filled with hope. What does it look like for you to live a life that's filled with hope? Well, Jesus' disciples and his followers who were there through every step of his journey to the cross, they had lost hope. Nothing was vibrant in their world immediately following his death. But then they got to experience his resurrected body and talk with him again. They were there for his return to life, his ascension into heaven, and everything about Jesus' journey was unexpected. This was the best cliffhanger. The best cliffhanger, climax, and conclusion, and a promised sequel. The truth is, Jesus' story continues. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to take a look at the unexpected acts that took place with the early Christians as told in the book of Acts. Jesus' resurrection set off a bunch of unexpected events for Jesus' followers as they were forming the church. As we explore these surprises, I invite you to let our unpredictable God surprise you with how much he loves you and how much hope that he can bring to your life today. Even today, we should expect the unexpected. Well, after Jesus returned to heaven, the disciples stayed in Jerusalem as Jesus had commanded them to do, and they waited. What were they waiting for? Well, Jesus told them to wait for a gift. We read in Acts 1, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard him speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And come, the Holy Spirit did. The Bible tells us that suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind which came from heaven and filled the whole house where the disciples were staying. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages given by the Spirit. Then people from all over came running because they heard the loud noise. This release of the Holy Spirit was heard all over Jerusalem. The mighty roar from heaven raced through the city and landed where Jesus' followers were gathered. This mighty powerful wind was about to change everything for Jesus' followers and those who experienced it. You see, people were preparing for the day. They dropped everything and they came running to the exact same location where this mighty sound had stopped. And suddenly they realized that the disciples were speaking in their languages. They understood these languages because they were from their own countries. Then Peter began to preach. He explained to those gathered what they didn't get. He told them what had happened. He told them, no, the disciples weren't drunk because it was nine o'clock in the morning. It was too early for that. 
Peter clearly hasn't met some of my previous neighbors. Peter laid out everything God had planned for Jesus to do, including his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Then he gave them instructions to receive the Holy Spirit themselves. Just like us, they needed to repent of their sins. They needed to turn from their old ways of doing things and instead turn to God. When we repent, we put our faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, well, he moves in. This is what we mean when we say God with us. Peter went on to tell them that they were to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. If you haven't been baptized yet, then I would ask you to seriously consider it. When we're baptized, we're declaring that we are choosing to follow Jesus. We're choosing to live for him. We're symbolically dying to our old selves. And when we come up out of that water, we are now a new entity, a new person, a new person that will be led by the Holy Spirit. We're having baptism class here on May the 9th, and we'll be celebrating baptisms on May 13th and 14th that weekend. You can find more information about this if this is your next step on our website. Well, we go on to read in Acts that 3,000 people were baptized that day alone when the Holy Spirit came. The events of that day would have been totally unexpected. And more believers were added every day after that. This was a miracle in and of itself. Jesus' followers were growing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' disciples and his followers were equipped now with the Holy Spirit, and they preached boldly wherever they went. They healed the sick and they cast out demons all in the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God was the heart of the believer's actions. They gathered as a new church and went out and impacted the city and even beyond it. The message they preached was one of hope. This was all happening in the very city that had held the deepest prejudice against Jesus and his followers. God was unexpectedly moving in the most unexpected place. The disciples were speaking the words that brought life. They told about the work and the mission of Jesus. They shared their own stories within that as part of what they had experienced and lived through with Jesus. And as they did this, the Holy Spirit was bringing miracles. People were even bringing their sick into the streets so that Peter's shadow might fall across them and they would be healed. Think about that. People were being healed even as Peter walked by. This is the same Peter that had denied Jesus three times and had hid in fear after Jesus' death on the cross. Peter must have been surprised that this was happening. He must have been surprised yet again that Jesus' words were coming true. We read in Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus said, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not prevail against it. 
Things were going great for the disciples and the new believers, but everything wasn't perfect. Satan was throwing up obstacles and trying to sabotage their efforts wherever and whenever he could. We continue to read in Acts 5, the high priests and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. This had already happened to Peter and John before this, but now the Sadducees were arresting more. Even when things were going well and the disciples were being led by the Holy Spirit, not everything worked out the way that they had planned or expected. This might have felt like an incredible setback from what had been happening. Everything had been going the disciples' way, and that can be our reality too, can't it? Sometimes life is going along beautifully. Things are falling into place for us, and then something unexpected happens. Something unexpected throws a wrench into our perfect existence, doesn't it? Although this was a setback for the disciples, I'm sure they remembered what Jesus has said to them. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus did make it clear that following him would not be a simple walk in the park. The world is still full of sin. And although Jesus took the punishment for our sin, there are still lingering effects of sin that affect us. And there are plenty of people who are still choosing to live in sin because they've rejected Jesus' offer of a new life. These effects still affect us. But the truth is, God sees the bad things. He sees the hard things, the painful things. And he knows that this was not what he originally intended. But he also wants us to keep relying on him, turning to him for comfort and support. He wants us to be fully dependent on him. Would you be fully dependent on him if everything was going your way? If things were always easy? When we truly turn to him and rely completely on him, our unpredictable God, well, he often surprises us. The disciples experienced this when they were in jail. Let's continue to read together to find out what happened next. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began to preach. At three different times in the Bible, we read that God opened prison doors and released the captives inside. God divinely intervenes on the plans of men. What the enemy means for harm, God uses for good. God freeing them reminded the disciples that God loved them, that he was aware of their situation and that he was completely present with them. 
He furthers his plans through the situations we find ourselves in. And he's quick to remind us today that he still loves us. That he's aware of our situations too. And that he is still here in the midst of the things that we're experiencing. The angel of the Lord released the disciples and told them to go to the temple and do the very thing that they were thrown in jail for. They're given a direct command to go and preach the good news about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would still be a little bit conflicted if I were there. On one hand, I was just released from jail by an angel who asked me to keep doing the very thing that got me thrown in jail. And on the other hand, I would be thinking, if I go do that, if I go back to preaching the good news about Jesus, I'm probably going to end up right back in here or even worse. We don't know if these were the thoughts that the disciples were struggling with, and I'm guessing that they probably weren't. They boldly went back to preaching in the temple that very next morning. They were miraculously released and divinely commissioned to go back to what God wanted them to do. Well, let's listen to what happened next. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, They were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. Well, that morning, the high priest gathered his associates and all the elders to pass judgment on the situation and take action against the disturbances the followers of Jesus had been causing. But when the temple guards got to the jail, the disciples were gone. And if you don't think that God has a sense of humor, well, think again. He could have just left the gates open, right? They could have just got there and seen that the men were gone. The doors were open, but no, God locked them back up. He locked them up tight. And then he added insult to injury. They find out that the disciples aren't even there, but that they're back in the temple and they're preaching. I think it goes without saying, but the high priest and his cohorts must have been, well, confused and extremely angry. This is exactly what they didn't want to happen. They didn't want the disciples of Jesus preaching that he had been raised from the dead. This went against their claim that there was no resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees, well, they were worried that his teaching would undermine their Jewish festivals and make sacrificial offerings for sin ineffective. They wondered where this was all going to end. How would they maintain their belief and their customs? Well, the disciples were rearrested without incident, and they were brought before this angry council. They reminded the disciples that they were strictly forbidden from teaching in the name of Jesus. 
And now they had filled Jerusalem with the teaching about Jesus and made that very council responsible for his death. We go on to read, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on the cross. Then God put him in a place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Peter and his disciples, well, they spoke boldly to their accusers. There seemed to be no fear of repercussion for them. They knew their only option was to obey God, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, they spoke what needed to be spoken. Perhaps they also remembered what Jesus had said to them. He said, you will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. For it is not you that will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And preach they did. Regardless of the consequences, the Spirit came upon them and the accused became the accusers. The Jewish leaders, well, they were enraged with these words. They were prepared to skip a trial and head right to death. Their rage clouded their judgment. They already had Jesus' blood on their hands, and now they were willing to add the disciples as well. Well, by some miracle, there was a member of the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. He ordered that the disciples be sent outside, and he reasonably presented his case to the rest of the council. He basically told them that they should leave the disciples alone. If this was just their own plan, well, it would soon fizzle out. And if it was God's, well, then the council wasn't going to stop it anyway. The council accepted his advice. They called the disciples back in, and they had them whipped and ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. The apostles, the same ones who had been released from the jail by God, were now whipped. But the apostles, they left rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And they continued to preach in the temple. And they even went house to house every day following that. The disciples and the followers of Jesus at that time, they were all just ordinary people. They weren't highly educated. They didn't have wealth or weapons. All they had was the Holy Spirit and the word of God. They were humble. They weren't aggressive. They spoke what they knew out of joy and hope. 
the joy and hope that they had because Jesus was all that he promised to be. And he accomplished all that he promised to accomplish. Now it was their turn. They weren't intimidated or fearful because they knew Jesus had suffered in his mission as well. They had Jesus with them through the Holy Spirit to guide them and to give them boldness. There was nothing for them to fear because Jesus had given them eternal life. Why would they fear death for doing what Jesus had commanded them to do? Their future was secure. So let me ask you this. Do you live and act like one whose future is secure? Do the people around you, do they see your joy and hope that Jesus is alive and that he's your savior? Do your conversations, do your conversations reflect that reality? If they do, well, well done. Living this way isn't easy for any of us. We get caught up in the realities of this world and often are too busy to think about the realities of who we are and what Jesus has done for us. For some of us, our current reality is challenging and difficult, and we have trouble in our circumstances believing that our unpredictable God is at work. But the truth is, our God is still opening prison gates. He's opening prison gates in the lives of people every day. I'm a living example of that. Many of you know some of my story from last summer, but let me fill you in on a few of the details that you may not know. Last summer, as we were ending Discovery Camp at the Southwest Campus, I turned around and I dropped to the floor. My heart had stopped. Thanks to our courageous volunteers and staff, they immediately began CPR on me. And when the paramedics arrived, they revived me. And as they were preparing to transport me to hospital, my heart stopped again. This time it took much longer for them to bring me back. I was without oxygen for far too long. But by the grace of God, I'm alive today. And I wanna thank you for your prayers. I know that many of you were praying for me and for my family through that whole situation. And I want you to know that your prayers were heard and they were answered. You know, as I meet with doctors and nurses now at the various appointments that I have to attend, they constantly remind me that I should be dead. (laughs) They do, every time. And at the very least, they remind me that I should be brain dead. And to be honest, some days as I'm recovering now, I kind of feel a little brain dead, but I'm not. The Holy Spirit reminds me that this is just a scheme of the enemy. This is a scheme of Satan to try and keep me from what God wants me to do. I have full memory. Well, that's not completely true. I have full memory except for one week, exactly seven days during the event. I have no recollection of anything that happened to me, anything that happened 
in the hospital, not anything until I was moved out of the ICU into a general ward. I can't remember any of it. But I think that the reason I can't remember that week is it's part of God's protection that I can't remember what I went through. And even this isn't the whole story. What I haven't told you is that while I was taking a first aid course right here at FAC, just six weeks prior to my heart stopping, God spoke to me. He spoke to me while I was practicing CPR on one of the mannequins. And he said this, this is going to happen to you. But you will be fine. Of course, I was startled as I heard these words and was quickly trying to process exactly what was happening. But there was an instant peace that came over me at that moment. And what should have terrified me, it didn't actually worry me at all. He told me that I needed to ensure some of the Southwest staff team had their CPR up to date and that they were clear on where the heart defibrillator was at GCA. That's what he said. I knew it was going to happen at GCA. It was going to happen at one of the gatherings of our Southwest campus, but I didn't know when, I didn't know the time, and I didn't know the date. But I knew that God had it. He's unpredictable and incredibly powerful. Why did he give me that heads up? I still don't know for sure. He hasn't shared that with me yet. But in those moments of fear going forward, I'm reminded that God knows and that he's with me. And I carry that reality with me whatever I face. Will it happen again? Will it be fatal this time? I don't know, but I refuse to worry. And I choose to live every day with joy and with hope. And I choose to share that with others. If I'm being completely honest, some days I still wake up with fear. Fear that today could be the day. That it could all happen again. But then I remember to pray. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill me again. God doesn't want us to be filled by the Holy Spirit just once. No, he wants us to be filled with the Spirit's fullness every single day. I surrender control to him so that he will help me and so that I can become more like Jesus because I know that in my own strength, I can do very little. And left to my own devices, I won't choose love. I won't choose joy. And I won't choose hope. I can be consumed by the world around me and forget what Jesus gives me. I can dwell in the past and take my eyes off my promised future. In our weakness, we need to choose to live and to rely on the power of our God, remembering all that he has done for us. When this happens, suddenly unexpectedly, we want to share what we received with those around us. I don't know about you, but I want to live like Jesus' followers did, the ones who had walked with him through it all, through the good times and through the bad. 
I want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to live that way and step into unpredictable situations to further God's kingdom. I want everyone to know what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for them as well. Now, I know that the thought of sharing this might cause stress for you. It can be stressful to share about Jesus. But you need to know that that stress that you feel, that's Satan trying to hold you back from what God wants you to do. We need to pray. And we need to surrender our fear and our stress to God and let the Holy Spirit take full control. We just need to love people the way that we've been loved by God. We love them and we represent Jesus to them. As followers of Jesus, we're called like the disciples to speak the words of life to others. Jesus offers that life to us through the power of his resurrection. And the Holy Spirit Well, he invites us on a journey to live in that power, to live with him, to share those words of life with others. Sometimes they won't want to hear what we have to say. That's okay. That's their choice. But we can be on God's extraordinary journey, allowing him to show us unpredictable ways that he works and he moves ways that we can share his love and his hope with others. We can live in our present like his kingdom is already here. We can shout for joy in our suffering and we can dance in the midst of our pain. You can draw on the power of God who makes all things possible. And you can step out and you can live a vibrant life filled with hope. Hope that will have people asking you, what is it that you have? And then we can share that with them. You see, God is an unpredictable God with all the power we need to live in the present and to dream about the future. So let's remind ourselves of this as we sing together about God's power in this next song. Now, this is a new song. You may not know the words, but I encourage you to just let those words sink into your heart today. Let them remind you of the God we serve and the power that he has.
Let's pray together. Ah, oh, Heavenly Father, you are such an incredible God. And we declare here today as your people that all power belongs to the one who is, who is present today, who was and who is yet to come. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you took the punishment that we so rightly deserved. And we thank you for reminding us that even today we can live in your resurrection power. That that is freely given to us through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, today we come before you and we surrender our lives to you. We say, come, have your way. Your way is so much better than mine. You are powerful and unpredictable. And you do things that are completely unexpected. And as we go about this day and as we head into this coming week, Holy Spirit, remind us every day to again surrender our control to you that we would live with joy, that we would live with love and hope. And because we live in that existence, not just dreaming about the future that we have with you, would we share that with others? Would you give us boldness and courage to share what we have with those around us? We know that this is what you want to do. We know this is what you're asking us to do. So would you give us some of your power to do that, we pray. In your glorious and mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, before you leave this morning, I want you to know that our prayer teams are going to be available here at the front. And maybe this morning as I was speaking, you were living that reality that there are challenges and things going on in your day-to-day -day life right now. If they are, well, I encourage you to let one of our team pray for you. They would love to lift those things up to God. They would love for you to find that peace and that reassurance in the midst of your situation as well. Maybe this concept of, the whole, of surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit daily is new for you. They'd love to talk to you about that as well and pray with that for you as well too. If you have questions about anything this morning, please remember that you can find any of our staff or our volunteers in green or red lanyards and they would be happy to answer your questions. If you're wondering what your next step is, what's the next step on your journey with Jesus? Well, you can find the signs out by the video wall on Main Street that say next, and someone there would be happy to help you walk through that. Don't forget those little strips of paper that you got at the beginning and you wrote those volunteer appreciation stories on. We wanna collect those. Please drop them in the baskets at, by the doors on your way out this morning. For those of you in the room and those of you online too, I pray that as you go about this week, you would live in the reality and with the resurrected power of Jesus. And may you shine light 
and hope and love to those around you. God bless you. Have a great week.